You may have noticed my methodology, a bit of my methodology by now of preaching, and talking about methodology is boring, but let me explain a little bit of why it matters, okay? What, what I try to endeavor to do is represent what's going on with Jesus at the time in context first, and then extrapolate from that why it would possibly matter to us today. Because if you don't get the first thing right, it's going to lead you all down all kinds of rabbit holes that don't make any sense. Let me give you an example of this. Um, the scripture passage where, you know, Jesus says, call no man on your earth father. You have but one father in heaven. Call no man on earth your teacher. You have one teacher, the Christ. Um, what can sometimes happen or what may have happened to you, particularly, you know, if somebody's not Catholic and you're Catholic and they're like, well, why do you call your priest father? Jesus said not to call anyone father. Okay, so do you not call your father father or your grandfather father? Did Jesus not call Joseph his father? Did, and don't call your teacher, is that really what he meant? That doesn't make, it seem to make sense that, because it's not what he meant. Contextually, that's not what he meant. So what will happen is sometimes people, it's called proof texting. They, they have a goal in mind. They already know what their goal is. And then they just find a scripture passage to fulfill their argument. And they take it out of context. doesn't make any sense. It's, it's well, I don't want to be too brazen, but it's not a good idea. Contextually, then, we need to understand today Oh, by the way, so the answer to that is he's referring to the, to the leaders of the people, the religious leaders who have failed in their mission. They're leading people astray, blah, blah, blah. It's that whole thing. You go look it up. Anyway, so this one, <laughs> we remember that the first covenant, the Old Testament, the first covenant was made between God and Abraham and his descendants. So the first covenant is made between God and the Israelites, God and the Jews. So they have this preferential relationship. He chose a people to begin with, not to end with, but to begin with, to to draw into this special relationship where he revealed his truth, his, his laws, his love, all of the rest. And from that, the fulfillment of that covenant will eventually expand to everyone, But it begins first, selectively, with a chosen people. And he promised them over the centuries that salvation would come from the Jews and first to the Jews because of that special relationship. And then, of course, it would go out to everyone. But it would begin with the house of Israel. They're the only ones who really knew God. They're they're the only ones who had this relationship with Yahweh. No one else had it. So they were very special in that regard. Nobody else could really even understand that relationship because, you know, there was nothing like it anywhere else. So when God becomes man in Jesus Christ, you know, and Jesus begins his ministry as God, he's first preaching to the house of Israel. He's first preaching to the chosen people. They have that relationship. And it's only from that, eventually, in the new covenant, that all people will be called into that relationship. But it begins first with Israel. So this is why you get sort of this dynamic with Jesus where he's 
hesitant to do anything with non-Jews, particularly here a, a, a pagan, a Gentile, um, because, you know, she doesn't have any relationship with, with Yahweh, presumably, and um, she's certainly, it be, not being a Jew, she's not part of the house of Israel. So um, when we hear that Jesus is reluctant like this, it's, it's for that reason, because his first goal is to preach the good news to the Jews. Um, so that keep that in mind. But, but we look at this gospel, and it should be a little shocking to us, I think. I mean, first, here's this woman whose daughter has been tormented for who knows how long, and she's desperate, and she's acting like it. And she's heard of this Jesus. He does, he, you know, probably he does amazing things. He's healed people. He's done all this stuff. And so he's next on the list of people she needs to talk to because no one else has been able to figure it out. No one else has been able to help her. So now he goes, she goes to Jesus. And she's desperate. And she's probably acting like it. And people who are desperate are not always pleasant to deal with. I think we could admit that because they're desperate. And so um, initially she cries out to him, you know, have pity on me, son of David. In other words, you, a Jew. And he ignores her, just walks right past her, ignores her. And then the disciples who have probably had this experience before, right? Because as soon as you have a miracle worker going around the country, people are going to flock to it. Right? Every time there's a miracle in something, or presumed miracle, right? people flock to it, and you get the tour buses started because God was seen in a loaf of bread or something, right? That's meant to be a joke, you know. <laughs> but, you know, people, yeah, they just kind of do that. And, um, but, and then people who are truly, you know, especially because if they're in need, you know, they're trying to find the divine anywhere. So here's Jesus you know, doing all these miracles. So the disciples are probably used to having to kind of uh, moderate the attention Jesus is getting, keep some people at bay, keep, you know, just to protect him. You know, he'd never get any rest. So, so anyway, Jesus walks right past the woman and then the disciples are like, can you just get rid of her? Because she, she won't leave us alone. I think a reliable, reasonable interpretation is she might have been a bit annoying. No doubt she's desperate, but she probably was a bit of a, of a nag and was annoying. It doesn't mean that she wasn't in need, but, right? I mean, we just kind of, I think we can figure that out. And then, um, then Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? So that's his primary mission, as I said before. And then he says, after she asks again for him to help her. And this is kind of shocking. It's not right to take the food of the children, the Jews, and throw it to the dogs, the Gentiles. He just straight up calls her a dog. That should shock us. I mean, you can't imagine somebody doing that today, right? I mean, if you had a a religious leader on, on video Doing that to somebody, they'd, they'd probably be done, right? We just cancel them, and, you know, given how uh, overly sensitive our culture is, nobody can be mean. Um, but he's making a point also about 
his mission and, of course, how everybody sees the Gentiles, or at least I should say how the Jews see the Gentiles. And then this woman shows something deeper about herself, which is that she is incredibly remarkable. It's amazing. This is one of the most amazing responses, I think, in Scripture. And we should hear it that way because certainly Jesus did as well. Remember, what does God thirst for? Faith. He thirsts for faith. And he's always amazed, Jesus God is always amazed when people who are not Jewish manifest the faith that he wants to see in the Jews. Not just this Canaanite woman, but, but uh, Samaritans, etc. It's not right to give the food to the children and throw it to the dogs. And she says, but even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. And in that moment, Jesus sees the faith that she has. Faith is manifest. And it was very likely only manifest because of the way in which he dealt with her. In in one sense, it's perhaps what she needed. Maybe her disposition, and I think this is likely, it's very possible at least, that her disposition was wrong as she was initially asking Jesus maybe caught up in her, her, uh, her desperation. Maybe, as, as many people do, when, when things are not going well for us, we sometimes react to God with a bit of a sense of entitlement. Well, I deserve this. After all, I go to church every Sunday, and you know I, I do this or I do that, or I'm trying to raise my family properly. So I deserve entitlement. It's a bad disposition. It's the wrong disposition to to ask God for anything because you're not really asking if we're entitled. We're basically telling. So it's very possible that initially her disposition wasn't right and then couple that with his understanding of his mission so he doesn't do it. But he also, because he is God, he still desires faith in her. And then when she manifests it, the disposition is right. She basically says, you're right. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your blessing. I am just a Gentile asking a Jew for healing for my daughter. But it's my daughter. It's my daughter. Please help her. And in that moment, Jesus sees the faith, receives the faith, and of course is moved with compassion. She doesn't need to do anything else. He says, your, your desire is granted. And her daughter was healed immediately. I think a legitimate and, and faithful interpretation of this, or um, not just interpretation, but extrapolation of this for our own lives is, what's our disposition when we go to God? Do we really understand that we deserve nothing? Because we don't. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve God becoming man. We don't deserve him dying on the cross. We do not deserve heaven. 
We don't. If we did, we would have a right to it. We don't deserve it. And so for ourselves to go to God and and say, I deserve that you would do this, or you ought to grant, or et cetera, you know, the entitlement is the wrong way to go to God. And we, we can learn here that sometimes he will, he will maybe ignore us, which basically means he says no for now to our request. He's not saying don't request, but requesting rightly matters. All of you who are parents and all of you who are children know this. You know. It's absolutely true. How much more then for ourselves in relation to the Most High, that right disposition. So we should ask God for things. Absolutely, he's told us to. But we also need to ask rightly so that understanding we deserve nothing from him, he may actually in turn be all the more generous and give us even more than what we asked for.